0: It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Well, according to my calendar, it's been about six months since we've checked in, and uh, my how the time flies when you're battling never-ending health issues. But today was a good day. Today we got WWDC's 2022's keynote and so many neat little things coming down the pike. I can't wait. Josh, do you want to kick us off?
1: absolutely absolutely we'll kind of spoil it a little bit and say that you know my favorite thing is the ipad is now a proper citizen of the pro world it's just like you said it's been way way too long and uh, i'm just happy to be podcasting again what
2: have you been up to brad whole lot of work i'm just waiting for the new stuff to come out i just got a drone a few weeks ago and been playing with that a bunch so that's a dji 3 is that right it's a dji mini 2 I wish I wish I had waited the additional two or three weeks when I bought mine and gotten the three because the three has automatic obstacle avoidance on return whereas like mine you have to have a line of sight between its home and wherever you're trying to bring it home from so it's not going to miss tree limbs or power lines.
0: Yeah, you know, I really want to get into that whole drone life, but it just seems like another expensive hobby that I don't need right now.
2: <laughs> it is expensive already, <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a whole other podcast, really. <laughs> well, kicking off with the keynote... We got a lot of new features that are going to be announced
0: for iOS 16. Josh, do you want to start us off?
1: Absolutely. And one of the biggies that they did talk about was a new lock screen customization. Looks like we can put proper widgets on the home screen now, on the lock screen. And what y'all are telling me, will also be able to utilize some focus modes as well. That's going to help out a lot depending on different settings and whatnot people choose to use with their setups.
0: Is it just me or does it seem like the widgets will allow you to get more dynamic updates instead of just sort of being static things that refresh every once in a while? I know when it was first introduced in iOS 14, it seemed like the data sources were dynamic if it was Apple's own apps. But if it was other third-party apps, it seems like it was very, very slow to, if ever, refresh some of those things. So it's hard to tell from the demo, just from what we saw in the keynote, but it seemed to imply that the uh, updates were going to be a little more dynamic. I certainly hope they are.
1: I hope so as well. That's been really the big bummer with the widgets. And I've heard people speculate as to what the reasons could be. The fact that they didn't come right out and say, we have updated WidgetKit where you now have interactive dynamic widgets that show up. That's the only thing that gives me pause about that. If you were able to edit these and have dynamic information, I would really think that they would have touted and said, Hey, we've got new dynamic widgets. You can update them on the lock screen. So I hope so. And hopefully that's something that'll flesh out better before it gets to release, but hopefully we get there.
0: It looked like the notifications in iOS 16 sort of rolled sort of like Androids, where instead of being one right after the other, it looked like you could move things from front to back, sort of like a little wheel. I may have been misinterpreting that when I was seeing it, but did you guys notice that as well? Or is it just me?
2: I didn't notice that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. It's called stacked view. That's what that is. Okay.
0: It's very similar to Android's notifications, where it looks like you get a single notification. And they're kind of grouped a little bit different, and they seem to go from front to back for the notification. So you see that you have a lot of notifications without it actually taking up a lot of real estate on the screen, which I think will be really cool.
1: That does sound very impressive. Y'all talked me into doing the... Um scheduled notifications, and that has been a huge difference for me. It's some stuff I still need to kind of tweak, but there's a lot of apps like Facebook, for instance, really even the home app to some extent, that it's very nice to have some of these go into scheduled. And anything that gives us more power over the notifications is just fantastic. I'm I'm really hoping that comes along and does well.
0: I think the biggest feature that got mentioned that was really the coolest one was being able to edit or unsend messages in iMessage on iOS 16. That is just a game changer. So for up to 15 minutes after sending, you can unsend or edit a message.
2: That is just, that's wow. I didn't realize it was that long. That's crazy.
1: That would have come in handy a few days ago when I sent a whoopsie doodle text to a coworker that should have been sent to another coworker, which it ended up being all right, but still, that, that would have come in very handy.
0: You always feel yourself pucker when you accidentally do that, like this pit of your stomachs, like, even if it's something innocuous, because it could have been something not innocuous. And we'll be getting to more innocuous things that get sent that uh, when we talk about the iCloud photo sharing. But being able to edit a message is going to be really nice, being able to to unsend it. As I joked on our Telegram today, it's the Android users in your family that are going to screw this up for everybody. So my wife's family has a group chat, and we've had a lot of stuff going on in her family lately. And she has two brothers, the only two people in this 10-person chat that have Android. And it's like, could we just remove them from the thread and let their wives update them on what's going on so that we don't have to see any of this? And I have a feeling this is going to be the same way, right? You're going to get this perpetual green bubble with no features. But honestly, that's pretty cool. I think that's where it's lagged behind things like Telegram and and other messaging services, is that you can actually edit those messages. You can unsend those messages. You can do all sorts of neat little things. And now it's starting to feel like iMessage isn't just a bolt-on on on top of text messages or SMS. It's actually something useful for the world-class messaging experience. Of course, you get on Twitter, all you're going to hear is, I don't think that's pretty cool. We don't use that outside of the U.S. And it's like, yeah, but in the U.S., there's millions upon millions upon millions of users, and it's installed with every single phone, so... I've never understood why people use that as an argument. Whenever something comes out for iMessage that the the detractors are always, I don't care. I use WhatsApp. It's like WhatsApp is primitive garbage. Yeah.
1: It, yes and no. I haven't used WhatsApp in ages, so I can't really say. But the thing about WhatsApp is it, it's there and it works on every platform and it works the same on every platform. It treats every platform as common citizens, as proper citizens. And until Apple and des- they
2: have 3 billion users.
1: <laughs> well, that too. And until Apple decides to put an iMessage on Android, and again, with Android's permissions, I don't see why they couldn't. They very well could do that. Until that happens, it, this is going to be the case. And it's really one of those that I can't say it's on anybody but Apple at this point. If Apple, Apple is the only people in the world that have the power to make the green bubbles go away. And I understand why they're choosing not to do it. But if they were to put it on Android and they were to put it on Windows, all of a sudden you have a chat system that could put WhatsApp, Telegram, a lot of these other things out of business. But they're choosing to go with lock-in rather than market share. I understand it. I don't get it, but I understand it.
0: Yeah, let's see. So what else do we have coming up in iOS 16? So Apple Maps is finally getting support for multi-stop routing which has been the biggest annoyance for me i've been having to drive a lot lately and i use apple maps for just about everything and that has been the only thing that i've really wanted to see get added for the longest time sometimes i'll put Waze in the background with the same route and see what happens but most of the time the, the rerouting in apple maps is very comparable to what Waze is doing so if there's a something up ahead i'll go ahead and reroute you around it show you those backups before you get there those build-ups But the multi-stop, I mean, you can do multi-stop now, but it has to be like a restaurant or something like that that you're adding to it. It can't just be some random address or random business. Right, it's a point of interest somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's very annoying. So I'm glad to see that's finally been added. Still, I prefer it over Waze and Google Maps here lately, which is something I never thought I would say. The multi-lane guidance when I'm driving downtown and there's tons of little be in this lane, be in that lane. Or as we've talked about before, having the traffic lights where, you know, three lights from now I have to make a right instead of looking at ways and trying to map the street name to, especially if there's a lot of little cross streets between you and where you have to turn, it can be very frustrating. So there's a lot of little tiny things. One of the biggest things, and we've talked about this many times, is uh, security fixes are now independent of the OS. So we can actually get automatic security updates that are pushed out that are independent of the big, huge cluster OS updates which we're getting there hey if they could just separate the apps from it it'll be perfect
1: and and hopefully that's the start that's going on with this hopefully that you know they're going to push the security fixes out which is critical and it's also one of those things that nobody's going to fight everybody's yay that's great and it is but i'm with you why do we have reminders and photos and iMessage why are all these tied to point releases with the os there's no business for it to be that way none
0: and that's one feature Android has recently adopted in the last couple of years, too, is that they've separated out the security updates from other updates. So that's a feature parity thing that iOS should have been the pioneer on this a long time ago. But I'm at least glad to see that it's uh, that it's happening. So another feature that we're getting is the share photos with a family using the new shared iCloud library. This has potential to go wrong. So... You take pictures on your camera and automatically send it to a shared album, which again, my wife's family, they love taking photos, especially my wife. We'll go and do some sort of family gathering and you'll have 14 different people taking the same, take it with my phone, take it with this phone, take it with that phone. And they always mean to set up an iCloud photo library after the fact and then set up the the shared album or something and nobody ever does it.
2: Or the person that does do it doesn't do it right. So then there's... An IT person has to get involved.
0: That's something that's really frustrating, too. It should be so simple to make this stuff work. It's dead simple to do. And I've had relatives who will stick normal photographs into something that was labeled Family Vacation 2014 or something on it. And it's like, what is this doing in here? This doesn't belong here. So you have to go and clean those things up. does have a lot of potential to, to go really wrong. You take a picture of something, anything, and then you send it out to a shared list of folks instead of sending it to just say your own photo library. So I have a feeling there's going to be a point release that has to fix this at some point because that's, it's neat, but it has the potential to, to go very badly, very quickly.
2: There needs to be a toggle that you can turn on that says review before send. Yes.
1: Well, now that's one thing I did not get to see this. I've only seen the headlines that you can now make it easier or maybe even automatically share photos with your family capping on what you just said, it would be really nice if, say, it's like a wedding and with your other iPhone users. And I, 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 again, I, this is the way I would love to see it work. If I go to a wedding or a gathering and, of course, I can airdrop photos back and forth, make it with the airdrop technology that, hey, I am choosing to create a shared photo library for Wedding 22 and, And you can airdrop everybody that can choose to join it at that point. Anybody in the area that's within airdrop distance could join it. And at that point, whenever you go to take a picture, just like when you take a screenshot on a Mac or an iPad or even an iPhone at this point, it flashes and then it drops down to a little thumbnail of it. And at that point, you can tap that thumbnail, maybe tap and hold, and it submits it to the shared library. If you don't, it just does normally. It'd have to be easy enough for grandma to be able to share it with everybody. But just like what you said, oops, I forgot to turn that off. I forgot to get out of that mode. I'm going home after the wedding. Oh my God, I didn't mean to send that to everybody. Whoops.
0: Well, it's also neat, but also other folks can edit those. They can apply filters and do other things. I'm going to have to play with this to see what exactly the limitations are on that. Because if I take a photo and it's composed in a certain way, I don't want somebody necessarily going in and altering it unless I still have the original copy. Until I'm playing with a beta, I guess I can't really say. Hey, is it also share a copy to your personal photo library? Is it only to the the shared one? Who knows, you know? I know this feature would never fly for my wife because she has to review every photo that we take before she would send it to a shared album. Oh, I don't like the way I look in this one. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. She'll take the same picture 10 times before it gets sent to the right one. But for those of us that don't really care as much, I, I think it would be okay. Plus, in a lot of situations, I know that I usually have the nicest iPhone if we're at a family gathering. So instead of having to take a picture with my camera, now take a picture with my camera, now take a picture with my camera, just use one camera, the best camera. Get somebody who actually knows how to use it, because I do have relatives that will take pictures of your... They'll chop off your heads, they'll blur you out, or miss the thing that you're standing under when you're in the Caribbean. You're supposed to be taking a picture under a sign, and they just take a picture of you completely missing the sign that you are standing in front of. I'm not calling <laughs> anybody out, but...
2: Where are you? Oh, we're just on the reservoir. Yeah, just on the reservoir. it doesn't matter. We weren't an Aruba or anything. I mean, (laughs)
0: why would I ever want to look at this picture five years from now and remember where I was? Let's see. So what else do we have in here? Siri can now hang up calls, which is kind of nice. I do a lot of talking on the HomePod. Being able to just invoke Siri and say, hang up which I've tried to do before, and I I learned very quickly it did not work because the other person, usually my wife, would laugh. Being able to do that, add emojis to text while you're doing dictation. So it looked like you can also do dictation and the keyboard in a mixture, which, again, playing with it, it's going to be something completely different. But if you're sitting there, you're dictating, and then you touch it on the keyboard and just start talking, it's supposed to replace the text with whatever you're speaking.
2: Well, the little demo they had on the keynote was pretty cool. Just the way he seemingly just very transparently moved between dictation and typing. Yeah, I hope it works that way in
0: practice. I really do. Let's see. So one of the things that was really cool that I really did not expect were the changes to CarPlay. So CarPlay, man, that really feels like either Apple is really progressing along on its Apple Car project, or maybe they're not going to do an Apple Car and they're just going to license out software to auto manufacturers, which seems weird that auto manufacturers would cede that type of control to a third party. But honestly, it looked like it was very impressive. It would actually make me want... Want to get a newer vehicle that had something like that in there even though it's not going to be available until probably ios 17 right so it's like a year and a half away or something before it's going to come out
2: well when they showed that dash shot man if they could talk to several manufacturers about okay well here's the specs for the entire dash and then here's the specs for just this one information screen and then we'll paint the rest that would be so great i was looking at some of the higher-end mercedes like some
0: of the electric vehicles and the interior looks like that. It's not like anything I had seen before. It's the entire dash from driver to passenger side is like a strip across the dashboard with all of the just exactly what you saw in the CarPlay demo. So, seeing something like that looks really interesting if they can pull that off in other vehicles. So, getting the speed, getting the having Apple Maps integrated into the dashboard itself instead of just on an external display. I really wish Jason was here because, again, for those of you who are listening, uh, our buddy Jason has recently gone full ham and put a cellular iPad mini in his truck, mounted it and everything, which that's just really extra, but okay. I get it. I I used to try something like that before CarPlay was a thing. Before I had CarPlay, when I wanted to use something like Waze or something like that. But I haven't used this for so long. I don't want anything where I'm having to touch and navigate a menu with my hand that's not optimized for simple use.
1: Well, and 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 I'll, as someone who makes his living in the car industry, I I will hate to burst the bubble, but what was it? Two years ago? Was it last year or two years ago that Apple announced the? Keyless entry with the BMWs, that your phone was your key for a BMW.
0: That's two or three years ago at this point. It's been out for a long time.
1: And how many car manufacturers are actually taking use of that other than BMW? Toyota, which is who I I, I work at a Toyota dealership, full disclosure, it took them how many years to get proper car play support in their systems, and Android Auto as well. They didn't start putting those really in until the 2018 model years, and it was like really 2019, 2020 model years before you really saw in some of the lines. You're just now starting to see that with the car play. The other real problem with it is in these cars, number one, From initial design to production to on a dealer lot, it takes give or take three to five years depending. It's a long time to do it. So with this being a new technology, even if they let the the car manufacturers know 12 months ago, hey, we're getting into the dashboard game. We'd love to do this in your cars. There was nothing. Maybe by the time iOS 16 fully releases, they will have a car that they can demo with another manufacturer. But you also look at CarPlay, and I think, I do not know, but I think every CarPlay unit has the same dimensions. I think it's the same size screen. I don't know that. I I could be wrong on that. Not
0: anymore. So in the past, they had sort of a smaller display, but in some of the newer cars, you're seeing a much more horizontally wide display display. So I've seen, again, not to bring it back to to Mercedes again, but I've seen a lot of those where they're really long. I think some of the BMWs have it as well. Mine, being a 2017, has still got the smaller sort of iPad mini looking screen, but they've actually scaled out. And I think that you've seen that going back to at least iOS 14 or 15, one of those, where it was a more expanded display. So they're building to not having to accommodate just one type of display anymore. But I had no idea that they are going to be supporting something that was that elaborate, where even your climate control and things like that are, are done through CarPlay, which I'm not a huge fan of. I do like physical buttons for some things. I like being able to, if I'm driving, I know from a tactile feel, without even having to look down where something is or just a barely a glance.
2: How many times you need to turn the knob based on yes. clicks yes. in the knob? And, or and
0: I don't want to have to navigate a sub-menu or something to, to change my climate controls. I want Now, they're saying that you can do all of this through Siri, but even though we're big Apple fanboys, we all <laughs> know how well that sucks. So I'm really hoping that they've either got that figured out so it's a lot more reliable or
2: <laughs> simple to use. Siri, apply some brake. <laughs> uh.
1: Well, yeah, but again, just to be able to go, Siri, set the temperature to 71. Siri, turn on the rear defroster stuff like that would be really nice to do kind of like what you just said climate control sure but it would be fantastic to see all this in cars i really would love that as a user of the cars but as somebody that works in the car industry to exactly what brad said i don't see these manufacturers seeding that kind of control and that kind of influence from Apple into the units of their cars. I think they've done it with Android Auto and CarPlay because they've really not had a choice. Most of your deals, it's much easier for the end user to have control of all this other stuff through their phones. Most, no, Very few people, I know a lot of people use Sirius XM, but most people are going to use an app on their phone to listen to their music at this point for whatever reason, whatever they're listening to. Most people are going to use their phones for navigation as opposed to the in-dash stuff and the built-in stuff. That's kind of the thing where the car manufacturer said, we're going to lose business if we don't do this. I don't see them being in a position where they're going to lose business if that comes in with the dash. But when this Reality OS come stuff does come to fruition, maybe that's something that it could include with everything.
0: Well, I, for one, am looking forward to our CarPlay overlords, just because it's a lot of fun to do. I mean, I use it every single time I drive, and I can't imagine not doing it. You know, it's actually one of the better Siri use cases is CarPlay. So when I'm driving, I can tell it where to navigate, I can say send my mother a text, send my wife a text, you know, start a phone call, whatever. And it works, I'd say probably 95, 96% of the time. Like it's, it's incredibly reliable in that regard. You know, when the, when the time comes that they're actually filling out these fully integrated displays with, with CarPlay, um, sign me up. I'd, I'd be right there on board to, to be able to, uh, to use that. Uh, let's see. So what else is going on with iOS 16? Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. So the home app is getting some love and they're going to be supporting the Matter standard. So for our listeners that aren't aware, Matter is the protocol where you have Amazon, uh, Google, a whole bunch of other folks. Anybody that's anybody in the uh, home automation space are supporting this sort of translation layer, if you will, so that, you know, you can control things that were previously, you know, maybe Alexa only or Google Home only or Siri only. So it won't matter who the, uh, the manufacturer is. As someone who has been deeply frustrated lately with each iOS point release that comes out, I welcome having something that makes it a little more reliable. What did you guys think of that new home app? And do you guys use the home app very often?
2: I mean, I use home app a lot, actually. I've got smart bulbs all over the house. Am I answering your question? (laughs) I may not have scenes set, for example, in the living room, but right here in my office, I've got it set so that I've got sort of a TV mode mode and or a you know relax mode or something so that the lights do a certain thing for when i've got the tv on right here in front of me i've got several smart deadbolts and other things i can you know that stuff's pinging me all day long i don't i've got my home stuff set to give timely updates i don't have it to where it sleeps or anything like that so i always know like what lights are on in the house and what doors are locked or not and i've got my all my cameras on it so that I can see who's coming and going. We're having some landscaping work done right now, so I can see whoever's coming and going for that. And was the guy really there, you know, when he said he was, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, home app user myself. I like the package detection that was introduced in iOS 15, I think it was. So now if I'm, I'm watching Apple TV in the basement or something, and I'm watching a movie and, you know, Amazon drops something off on my, my porch, I may not get the notification that they were there, but I get the notification, hey, a package has been detected. And uh, that seems to work pretty well. I use the home app all the time, and I have a lot of scenes, a lot of automations. I love being able to invoke certain things on, based on the time of day. Looking at the new redesigned Home app, it kind of reminds me of some of those third-party apps that are out there that you can use to to play with, you know, things like Controller for HomeKit or uh, what was the other one, Home Plus or some of the. Actually, it kind of reminded me of Home Plus quite a bit. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing that. But I'm really hoping they just make the stuff more reliable you know i was watching a conversation on twitter and they noticed that apple knows that automations suck and said whenever they mention this stuff at at, and wwdc or on stage it's always through the home app or something else they never talk about the automations because they know they're unreliable i don't know that i would say that they're always unreliable but they're not reliable enough so i'm really hoping that that uh, is something that's going to get fixed uh let's see so what else um apple pay later what did you guys think of this being able to make quick installments on stuff instead of just paying for something all at once with no interest.
1: I actually missed that. Tell me about that.
0: So it looks like if you're using certain merchant systems and you're using Apple Pay to Pay, they're going to allow you to be able to split payments up with no interest. So if, you're, if your vendor is using Shopify as a backend, I think that was the first one that was going to support it. They're going to have that so that it, let's say you're buying something that costs 400 bucks, you can do four $100 payments uh, with no interest. You also are going to be able to have package tracking. So when you buy something using Shopify the same way, you're going to get notifications of when it's shipped and how long it should be there.
2: I guess is Shopify the same as the shop.app that I use on a bunch of websites like when I buy a pops is that yeah that? it's the purple logo yeah. shop.app or something yeah
0: shopify has that same consistent backend and they send you the receipt and you can see where on the gps you were when you made the purchase Intuit has one that looks almost like Shopify, but but Shopify is usually the one that, that I find the most. When I used to buy um, protein powders and stuff through GNC, they would use Shopify and some of the other companies that I've I bought things through uh, have done that. But it sounds like there's going to be an API for that so that any any company that wants to can do it. And just as a sort of a, a tangent, a side note, I've noticed Apple Pay support has really, really expanded in the last couple of years. I, I think for me, the thing that I use it the most is when I go to buy gas and just about every, every Every gas station that I go to have those little NFC card readers now, so I can use Apple Pay on just about anything. On most days when I I take my phone somewhere, if I go to Publix, I can use Apple Pay to buy my groceries. If I go to buy gas at qt or racetrack or one of those same thing you know i i, I never have to break out the, the credit card it's very very seldom that that ends up happening any fast food any restaurant like that well fast casual type of thing i mean obviously nice restaurants i still can't do that but for most things i've found that the stuff that i buy on a daily basis i i never have to break out the the, the credit card
1: i'm noticing that myself uh it's, it's especially it's it's been very nice with uh Really, a lot of the fast food apps, like you say, you know, just with the apps is real quick. Uh, at this point, I understand that it's it's the restaurant self-checkout. You know, I'm now becoming the cashier. But for the most part, I, I, it, it's a trade-off with convenience I like. The order's right. And, it, oh, double-click to Apple Pay, of course. And then it just goes straight to the card. Um, I'm noticing more and more websites, not just the Spotify's, but also the or the Shopify's, rather, my bad. But uh, I'm, I'm seeing built-in Apple Pay support for a lot of these websites where you check out as well. And not just the NFC, but, hey, it remembers my secure card. And, oh, yeah, by the way, do you want to send this to your home address or your work address? You know, which one do you want to do it? I don't have to, I don't have to try to type in billing addresses. It is really, really nice. And with the Apple, it's, it's secure. So it's, it's just wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see this coming out with a lot more things.
0: Do you know where I've had the worst Apple Pay experience on the web?
1: Where is that? Apple.com.
0: I kid you not. (laughs) So like if I go to buy something, right, let's say let's say I'm going to buy like an iPad or something and I go to Apple's site. I'm given two options, right? I can log in using I can check out with Apple Pay or I can check out using my email and password. Now, if I use my email and password, I get the email. It's trackable. Everything is cool. No problem. If I pay with Apple Pay, it knows that I use the same email for both. It shouldn't be something magical, but I can't go look up that, that order by my email address. Like it does this weird thing where I have to go in and adopt it. It's been like that for, for years, ever since Apple pay was introduced, not a huge, you know, very much a first world problem, but it's something I've never understood where I can go to literally any other website that supports Apple pay. And I have a great experience. I use it on Apple's website and I'm like, ah, this sucks.
1: Now that you mention it, you're absolutely right. I renewed my developer's license, and I'm kind of—I don't, I don't even remember Apple Pay being an option, to be honest with you. It was like, which, 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 uh, which card, credit card do you want to use? And I'm like, why? And now that you mention it, I'm like, why didn't I give the option for Apple Pay? That's yeah,
2: it is very, very odd. What do they call that? Not drinking your, not own, eating your own dog whatever, food is usually or, what it's. Uh, there you go.
0: So I think most of the things that we have in iOS are pretty much just sort of simple things, right? The little. Little uh, refinements that, that should have been here a long time ago. I ran into, there's one that I put in the show notes that I thought was really interesting. About a month ago, I went to see my sister-in-law's mother. We were in uh, the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, and I was going to get on their Wi-Fi because they had no cell, cell signal in the places they were. You know, I just, uh, I thought, okay, I'll just use her iPhone, go into settings, go into passwords and figure out what the Wi-Fi password is. Couldn't see it. It wasn't in there at all. And I was like, oh, surely this has to be some sort of goofy, you know, I'm just missing something. Nope, couldn't do it. So in iOS 16, you will be able to see a saved Wi-Fi password. Something you've had the the ability to do on the Mac for like easily a decade or more. I, I still couldn't believe that this wasn't in iOS before, but apparently that's going...
2: Yeah, but it's still not directly within the Wi-Fi app. You have to go to Keychain to find yeah, it. Yeah, but it's still it's still something you can find. I mean, I figured I
0: figured they yeah, put it in the Passwords right. app in iOS because that would be the thing that's most analogous to Keychain. But sure enough, wasn't in there, but I'm I'm glad it's going to be in uh in iOS 16. Uh let's see. You're going to have support for landscape Face ID in iOS
2: 16. Thank goodness. Oh my god, finally.
1: Yes, I was waiting for you to get to that one. That is a huge, finally, what has taken them so daggum long?
0: I don't understand it. it. It is the dumbest thing that it hasn't supported it since at least the second release. We're like, I think we're what, like five years into to Face ID at this point, And we still, we're just now getting it. So,
2: yay. So it took me a full five or six minutes to get connected using the new Diablo Immortal app and it would try to put in my 1Password password for my battle.net account. And I'm sitting here flipping my phone back and forth. I just seriously, it was a big pain. iPad butt. Pros have been able to do this for a while. You can, you can
0: unlock your iPad when it's in landscape or I don't know why you couldn't do the phone. It, it just doesn't make any sense. The phone has a better camera, better better sensors. It really doesn't make any sense. Let's see. So iOS 16 will be bringing new personalized spatial audio where you use the true depth camera to figure out your surroundings to be able to, uh, to give you better spatial audio.
2: Not exactly sure how that's going to work, but it sounds pretty cool. So if you have a five head or a four head, <laughs>
0: <sighs>
2: you get better acoustic properties.
0: <laughs> Let's see. Uh, iOS 16 will let you lock your hidden and recently deleted photo albums. I don't think that's going to affect us, but I'm, I'm certain that people in the younger generation may uh, may use well, that feature a little more. So that's kind
2: of cool.
1: And a question: Maybe They'll
2: make it available by Siri.
1: <laughs> Wipe photos. And uh, the that kind of does that go hand in hand with the earlier shared stuff. You know, so I'll share the I'll share with my family, but I want these to stay completely hidden and, and private and they're locked up and nobody can get to them.
0: Well, it looks like it's more along the lines of physical security. So this is more geared toward, you know, you hand someone your phone to look at something and they can't just go through your your deleted or um, or your re- recently deleted. And what was the other one? Hidden. hidden. There any we hidden go. ones. Yeah, any hidden ones. Let's see. Uh, iOS 16 will require apps to ask the user for permission to access the clipboard, which I guess I never really thought about that. But you do have a lot of sensitive data, the passwords and stuff that can get copied. So,
1: Mm. well, and I think that's a that's a smart continuation of the original. You know, there were definitely there was an older Reddit app that I used called Antenna that y'all finally got me, convinced me to try Apollo again, and I was able to get Apollo within about 90% of how Antenna looked, and I'm, I'm very pleased with it. But I know when I would go back into Antenna after they released that feature, just over and over accessing the clipboard, accessing the clipboard, accessing the clipboard, Nintendo's access the clipboard. I'm like, my God, what are you doing? Just chill out. And I mean, it was repeatedly over and over and over again. So is this going to be frustrating? Yes. Is grandma going to ask us to disable this on their phone? Probably so. But it's, you know, it's one of those where Apple kind of said, okay, we're going to, You're being bad about this. We're going to show the users how much you request the data that you have no business requesting. And now they're still not listening. So it's going to be a, well, okay, fine. We're going to, we're just going to lock it down. And now they've got to opt in. And because when am I ever going to paste anything into Facebook? I'm really not. Same for Instagram, you know. Um, it, I think it's a fantastic feature. I like that. So
0: moving on to iPad OS, basically, uh, oh, I, I forgot to, uh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was looking at the notes and I got a little, I got a little confused. So the uh, iPad is finally getting a weather app and, uh, it, it couldn't have, it couldn't have taken what, uh, more than 16 releases for us to get a, uh, a weather app on the iPad.
2: Have we got a calculator
0: yet? We
1: still don't have a calculator.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know about carrot.
1: That was the weather app on iPad OS 16, right there. That's what I was showing.
0: You. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't realize. Yeah, you yes. already had the beta installed.
1: Yes, that's actually. If you've seen me dipping away, that's been. A, I've been over here. Uh, the beta one finally finished installing in the middle of this recording. So uh, yes, that is an honest to god weather app on iPad OS 16. It's a miracle.
0: It's it's long overdue, and finally, it looks like that that dark sky acquisition is finally starting to pay off it took them a couple years but i think they bought it right around wwdc of 2020 so it wasn't like it wasn't like they had you know they could have gotten it out for ios 15 so
1: yeah yeah you're you're right i had not really looked at this uh i had not looked at whether i just saw that they had a weather app and said oh good uh it was it's been a very crazy day today so i'm some of this i'm learning in real time as we record but uh yeah, that, that app's going to give Carrot very much a run for its money. It looks very, very impressive. So two other
0: big announcements for iPadOS that were really interesting was the uh, the ability to use virtual memory will give up to 16 gigabytes of RAM to certain applications. So this is going to be kind of a, you know, we, we all wanted Logic Pro or Final Cut or something like that announced at WWDC. But now that we're going to actually have the ability to use virtual memory, which is such a a fundamental feature that's been in every operating system since, I don't know, the last 30 years, 35 years, something like that, Uh, this will open the door to being able to have pro apps that can, you know, make use of, they can transcend their physical RAM limitations. You know, nobody wants swapping on their iPad, but you know, it is a, it is a, it's something you're going to have to have eventually if you want a a, sort of a desktop class apps, I guess is what you're going to have to have.
1: Correct. I think the problem is is just what you've said. If you take something like a Final Cut, if you take a Logic, you know, the two big pro apps that everybody discusses, or even Xcode, we'll throw Xcode in there as well. Swift Playgrounds is there, but again, Swift Playgrounds was a complete from the bottom up rewrite of Xcode to get it to where it needs to be on iPad. You look at what Adobe's had to do with both Lightroom and Photoshop and their other apps on iPad. They're having to go through and do complete rewrites on a lot of this stuff. Lightroom's a fantastic example, very much a pro app on the desktop. Well, when they went from Lightroom Classic to their new Lightroom, not mobile, and I forget what, they're, what they call it at this point, but uh, it looks, it's very similar. The design language is exactly the same on mobile and on tablet as it is on the desktop with the new apps they probably went to some type of unified code base for everything. And they had to do a rewrite from the ground up with a lot of it. To your point, it, it's, you, you get stuff like LumaFusion, which I understand is not in the same class as Final Cut or Adobe Premiere or any of these. But you still have an app that works on the iPad with the iPad's caveats, we'll say. And it can handle multiple 4K streams. It does, it does just fine but it's an app that's written specifically for it. Now you're kind of starting to see this. We've, we've been seeing it for years, and it's even kind of happening a little more now in a great way. Mac and Mac OS and iPad OS kind of merging together in a lot of ways. We'll, I'll, I'll, when we get to the next part of it too, it, it kind of clicks in even more. But with this virtual memory, you're going to be able to see more of a catalyst code base, I think, where you have something that's written on the Mac, that now you can basically port to iPad with a click, so to speak. You don't have to try to run through a bunch of hoops to handle the memory issues.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's, I think more publishers are going to be able to start taking advantage of that and actually producing enterprise grade apps for the iPad. I know we've, we've gone back and forth over and over and over on this show and in Telegram where we've sat and, and discussed this stuff, but honestly, I don't want I don't want an iPad that runs Mac OS. I want an iPad that is an iPad. I want something where it's not the same paradigm that I've used on desktops. If I wanted a Surface Pro, I'd just go get a Surface Pro. And there's a reason that Apple sells more iPads than Microsoft sells Surface Pros. It's not that popular because it's it's the implementation has not been done right. You can't just take a desktop OS and slap it on a tablet and call it good, right? The interfaces are completely different. The the way that you you deal with input is completely different. And it's just nice to have something that and again, I think this is like where Jim and I have a have a difference of opinion, because he'll be the guy that'll go and like, he'll take a MacBook Air and surf on the couch. And it's like, why would I want a full desktop? Why would I want a full laptop when I can just here and grab the tablet and do everything that I would do like to me, I mean, to each their own, but it just it it blows my mind because like, I just can't see that use case at all. That's what I was doing back in 1998, 1999. I don't I haven't I don't want to be doing that in 2022. I want something better, right? I don't want my old, my old way of doing things when I don't need it. It's overhead that I just don't need. If I'm going to sit there and read a book or read comiXology or whatever, I can do it on a tablet. But if I need to type out something that, that requires my, you know, I can just slap a keyboard on top of it and then, hey, we're good to go. So I'm very excited about that. The, um, the other two big things that came out of that, that were really exciting was the, uh, the stage manager. So now we have a new, way for handling groupings of apps is what it kind of looks like. And it's nice that they're bringing that to Mac OS and the iPad. So instead of having to be a separate type of experience on the iPad than it is on the Mac, it's going to be one unified experience. So this is, this is one of those examples of where things are sort of, uh, I don't think the iPad is becoming more Mac-like. I think they found a new way of doing something and they're putting it on both devices. It's not quite what what the Mac has been doing. It's definitely not what the iPad was doing, but now it's what they're both going to be doing. And I like that approach more than just turn the iPad OS into a knockoff of Mac OS. I want something that's completely new and different that will give me a better experience of what I've I've been used to. So Stage Manager, as I understand it, appears to be you can take something that you're working on, like four different things. Uh, You know, you could have a text messaging app and you could have a browser and you could have a word processor and you group those together into one grouping. And that becomes sort of a, a cluster of what you're working on. So I can slip, I can flip between you know these apps and these apps and these apps if if they're all dedicated to a single task, which is phenomenal. I'm actually really excited about that because that will help as I as I use my iPad Pro sometimes like a like a laptop. Being able to switch between those apps is going to be sort of a game changer. I, I thought their multitasking last year was a good attempt, but it was kind of clunky. Just it didn't really work for me all that well. You know, it, to me, I, I like split screen better than than any of those things. But this looks like it's going to be a huge game changer. And the other thing that I'm really excited about is being able to hook an external monitor up to the iPad and have it actually be like a Mac. Like you get a dock at the bottom. It's independent of what you're doing on the the iPad itself. That is phenomenal. So being able to take advantage of this nice studio display that I have and being able to hook my iPad Pro up to it is going to be just phenomenal. I'm going to love it. This is going to be great. I don't even have to. I have more memory in my iPad Pro and storage than I do on the Mac Mini that I'm actually podcasting this on right now. I'm constantly getting a, hey, you're almost out of memory because of the eight gigs that I have in here. And it's it'll be nice to have something that's a bigger computer for that. What do you guys think of both of those?
1: Well, as I keep dipping away away from the camera, I'm over here playing with Stage Manager right now. And it uh, looks like the the maximum so far is four apps. I'm just fiddling around and was grabbing a bunch of stuff and trying to see how many apps I can throw up there. It looks like four is the limit for right now. At the moment you can't really place windows exactly where you want to. It kind of you can suggest to throw it in this section or suggest to throw it over here. Being able to see them having them overlap you can definitely tap one and bring it to the forefront. It is very nice. The overlapping windows on an iPad It's phenomenal because yes, it's overlapping. Yes, it looks like a real computer desktop, but it still feels like an iPad. It still works like an iPad. It's very much what they needed to do. I'm going to be honest. I don't, Know how For the moment, five minutes in, I don't know how much I'm going to use this. I, I really kind of like the iPad and the way that it is two apps at a time. There are times like if I have to pull a third app in for slide over, oh, this is going to be much nicer. If I need to jump back and forth between a number of apps, it is. Now, I also haven't hooked it up to an external monitor yet. That is very exciting because there have been a number of times I would love to be able to pull my iPad and treat it like you can a MacBook Pro. Pull it into a desktop. Have me a desk setting somewhere, and just hook it into my monitor. My desktop at the house. I'll pull the. I'll pull my little KVM switch out of my Mac, plug it into my iPad now, and go to town with it. I'm gonna try that tonight if I get the chance. Uh, it, it, it's just it between stage manager and the virtual memory up to 16 gigs. It it just it's really starting to feel like they're gonna say, hey, we understand you want to use your iPad as an all-in-one device. But it's one of the things that i've I've heard Federico Vatici talk about before he likes the way the iPad is a modular device. It is a device that can work as a tablet it can you put it in the magic keyboard and it works like a more traditional laptop. I like the fact that it does all of these things. The other thing that has come out that is i haven't seen i heard Federico Vitici talk about it as well as, again as well on Twitter they have announced driver kit for ipad os and if that's something, it's my understanding, driver kit is what they're trying to push everybody on Mac OS to use. That could finally be the thing that would allow rogue amoeba's apps like Audio Hijack, which we all know and love on this podcast, to run that on the Ma- on the iPad. And that's one of the things that again we talked about in our chat before. I don't understand why Apple won't release the ability to run system level daemons for lack of a better term and have that accessible in the settings app let me if if i want to run coda or Panix nova which is not on ipad unfortunately but if i want to run uh my running gag the lamp stack i want to do lamp development on my ipad let me run an apache server in the background Let me run a a MySQL server in the background. And just do little on and off like you would with anything else, like you do with an iCloud backup menu, for goodness sakes. I can say, don't backup this app, don't do this one, but do this one. Okay, this app has requested to run this daemon. Okay, turn it off. No, turn it on because I want to use that right now. You can give me that level of stuff. I don't see why you wouldn't. And it wouldn't be that hard to implement. I know why they don't do it because they don't want runaway processes running in the background of your your phone or your device without you knowing about them. But at that point, shoot, as locked down as they've got it, for goodness sakes, I can run Instagram on my iPhone right now and tell it I only want you to access the select photos that I tell you to access. If you're going to let me do that, why not... Trust me to run background processes. I I don't get that part of it.
0: Well, I think the big deal before was the the lack of virtual memory and the lack of being able to swap. So you could exhaust memory. The memory management iOS is, is radically different than what you would get on macOS, right? So you, you go to use an app and you put it in the, the background while you go to use something else and it sort of freezes that state and puts it to sleep. And that's because you had an incredibly small amount of memory you were working with and you had to make sure that the apps that you were using had to be responsive. And I think they're getting better with that. And I wouldn't be surprised with the whole virtual memory thing if that ends up shaking out so that we can get some of those things. But I do kind of think it's cool that I could be using my iPad Pro upstairs, come downstairs, plug it into my, my uh, monitor here, and then just take it over and start using it like a Mac. If I want to I have a trackpad, I have a keyboard, you know, I can go ahead and do what I need to do. Now on the iPad, in, in the scenario that I'm describing, I wouldn't necessarily have to have everything running in the background like I would normally do on my Mac. But it would be nice to be able to utilize that big monitor and use it like a computer, When it's in the, uh, when it's in, when it's connected to the external monitor. So pretty excited about that. Uh, Let's see. Scale pixel density. So apparently that will play great into making windows bigger or smaller as need be. So that's going to be kind of nice. And of course, the reference mode and calibration, if you're doing things that you require high color accuracy on something like the iPad Pro with the Liquid Retina XDR display, it's going to be really, really neat to be able to do that. But again, that doesn't really impact me so much. Uh, I think we've been going for about an hour. This may be a good place to stop. And then next time we can talk about watchOS 9, macOS, and the application that didn't mean the OS that didn't get any love at... WWDC at the keynote was tvOS, which there's betas out. They mentioned not a single word about what's in tvOS. I mean, I guess it's not really, you know, that big a deal, but it's just sort of weird. They have a platform that is pretty popular and they just didn't even mention it.
1: Well, that's, it's, it's very weird, you know, but um, I'll save my tvOS rants for another day. It's just, it's just like the same with the, I'm I'm glad the home app's finally getting some love, but you know, it's, it's, Apple is doing such a fantastic job of putting their devices in places in our lives that we interact with to make sure that we get, in their eyes, the best possible interaction with. And then you've got our TVs that are just there. It just, it, it, it's really just kind of mind-boggling.
0: I was on a call the other day with someone and I was bored out of my mind. So I went into the app store on the tvOS and I just started opening the apps that I use the most and just hitting update if they needed an update. I was that I was that bored. But not being able to update all the apps at once is sort of a weird thing where it's just out of your hands. It's very strange.
1: It's like what uh, Brad said earlier. Do none of these programmers use Apple TV at home? I mean, really? and And as developers... Have they not sat down and gone, man? This is such a colossal pain for me to have to go through and update these apps individually. How many times has a user gone, well, man, this HBO Max app is terrible. Oh, there was an, uh, there's been four updates since I updated last. Whoops, maybe that's what the problem is.
0: It is kind of silly. Well, I think this is a good place to stop, and we can pick up next time with the uh, the rest of it. Uh, anything you guys want to add before we stop? I'm good. Good deal. All right. Well, later, fellas.
1: Later, fellas. Later,
0: fellas. Please visit InfiniteLoopback.com for show notes and previous episodes. We can be found on Twitter. I'm at Brian B. That's B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's B-I-G-J-I-M. And Brad is at Meester Idol. That's M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we hope to talk to you next time.